1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from my fabulous friends. This week's episode of Dirty Rotten Church Kids is sponsored by a podcast. That's right. Podcast supporting podcasts. We love to see it. And this podcast is called Holy Smokes, Cigars, and Spirituality by Christian A. Smith. Join Christian and the cast as they unpack their lived experiences within the black church, deconstruct harmful theology, and build a beloved community one cigar at a time. If you're in the mood for a conversation amongst friends where you can bring your whole self to the table, you should definitely give this one a listen. Check out Holy Smokes, Cigars, and Spirituality wherever podcasts are found. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, it's Adrian, and if you're listening to this silky, silky, smooth voice, you know what it is. You got yourself another episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Welcome back, one and all. It's great to be back, coming off the tail end of an outstanding conversation with my friends Sarah Heath, Justin Gentry. We took on the monumental task of discussing what it meant to be a professional Christian. It was, uh, it was great. It was great. It was wild to hear the stories from the bad apples, the stories that you all sent in. It was interesting to see all the different ways in which there were similarities and, and certainly discrepancies. It was cool to talk to Sarah and Justin both because they come from a kind of a different corner of the evangelical tapestry, right? And so it was cool to talk to them about kind of where they come from and not only talking about the aspects of their upbringing within the church and leaving their ministries and all of the grief and confusion and and freedom and all the kind of this array, this crockpot of emotions. But then like looking at it and going like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Where do I go from here? How do I transition into normie life, right? How do I go secular? Ooh, secular. So it was a good conversation. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Justin, for being on the show. It was a great time. And in fact, I'm going to talk about this later in the episode. There are some things that they mentioned that at the time of recording, I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And then zoom forward to present day, I'm looking back and going, well, shit, well, shit. So I'm going to share that with you later. But before I do, I want to very quickly segue into kind of the meat potatoes of this episode. I had the absolute privilege of interviewing an incredible singer, songwriter, musician, producer by the name of Joy Alatakun. They were absolutely amazing. It was a privilege to speak to them. And Joy's creativity is really palpable. It's cool when you talk, it's cool when you like talk to certain folks and you can just tell, man, like you're just on like a different wavelength. Like you just see the world in a, in a, a spectrum of color that I'm, <laughs> me, I'm not seeing it. And so I talked to Joy about the writing process and the ways in which she created. We talk about her upbringing. We talk about this new record, which is released shortly. At the time of dropping this episode, the album might already be out, but it is just 
The music is so good, and the singles that Joy has released are so good. It is very familiar to the music that you've heard. I don't know, man. There's just some new mojo, and you can just tell that they're evolving as, as an artist. So I'm just going to jump right in. There's no point in me sitting here and just laying the foundation. I will say this, classic disclaimer, every conversation I have with a guest is my guest's kind of depiction and expression of their story, right? Their upbringing, whether that's good, bad, ugly, sometimes it's happy, sometimes it's hilarious, sometimes it's kind of egregious, and, and sometimes it's just whatevs, right? But I want to make sure that there's plenty of room when you come to the table and listen to these conversations with my guests. It's always with this understanding that this is a person's lived experience. So I think you're going to love it. If you want to stick around, please do so. If not, there's going to be kind of some timestamps. You can skip ahead. You won't hurt my feelings and you won't hurt Joy's feelings either. But as I said, I think you're going to absolutely love this. So without any further ado, Bad Apples, let's jump right in to my conversation with Joy Alatakun. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. My next guest is a singer-songwriter. In 2021, her third album, In Defense of My Own Happiness, landed her in featured artist lists across NPR, Spotify, and Vogue, to name a few. In 2022, she released the single Sweet Symphony with acclaimed artist Chris Stapleton, and on April 28, 2023, she will release her latest record, Proof of Life. Bad Apples, let's give it up for Joy Alatakun. Loving you's a sweet, sweet symphony that all of heaven and earth join to sing. My heart trembles at the sound. Even if the world we built falls at our feet we used to ride where we're supposed to be together through ups and the downs dungeons and ivory towns hello how's it going good how are you thanks for having me yeah i'm so glad to have you it's like an honor i'm i'm kind of nervous actually <laughs> no you're, <laughs> you're fine this is i'm in my house i'm in crocs right now it's chilling that helps actually i think the crocs kind of helps thank you for telling me that i wouldn't have known otherwise they're fuzzy on the inside if <laughs> that helps that helps a lot actually yeah 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 okay and you're based in nashville i am i'm in nashville nice how long have you been there been there five years last month dang it's march already i've been here five years and i really really like it and it is complex at the same time. <laughs> I imagine. Got it. And originally you're from, was it Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, I'm trying to think. Last time I was in Nashville, it's been a minute since I was in Nashville. You've been there long enough. Are you kind of over like the touristy energy that Nashville often accompanies with? Or are you still riding that train? Oh, I was never interested in the <laughs> <Okay>. touristy <laughs> Parts of Nashville. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's not my bag. The thing that I like about Nashville is I grew up in a small town and it reminds me a little bit of home. And there's this mix of like big city energy with all the buildings and stuff mm. like that. And then there's also like you can drive 15 minutes from my house and go fishing. You know, it just has a good vibe. Yeah, that's rad. 
Well, thanks again for doing this. You have been, people have been suggesting you forever. And so I'm so glad we're able to, to make this happen. It really means a lot, truly. No, thanks for having me. So I all want to start this conversation the way I start all my conversations with my guests. I would love to know, Joy, if you were a church kid. And if so, what did that look like for you within your framework? Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I was a church kid for sure. I was like maybe the poster child of church <laughs> children. Um, my parents were Christian. My dad converted to Christianity sometime, you know, in his youth. And my mom grew up in a Christian family. And I, I took to it at a young age. I was actually at Disney World when I got saved, which I feel like is the most important thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it explains wildly so much, but uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure, later. Yeah, I was eight years old. My parents were at this conference and they did this like Sunday morning thing and there's this choir singing and like they did the altar call and I was like, yeah, I'm in, sign me up. And then I met Mickey Mouse after. It was tight. Oh my gosh. My first concert was Carmen and Bible Man. <laughs> I'm starting to locate you now in like the range of, of, of what Christianity looked like culturally. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. I always want to ask people because like based on what they say, it really kind of speaks to what era of Christianity they were exposed to. Yeah. You got saved in, in Disney World. Disneyland, Disney World. Disney World, Florida. All right, so that was the real experience. I would contend that we were peddled that anyone who got saved, it was a Disney World sort of experience. Like totally. celebration. <laughs> There's Mickey yeah. somewhere. That's exciting. Yeah. It was pretty powerful, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for just the ultimate immersive celebratory experience it really doesn't get much more celebratory <laughs> absolutely thank you for understanding i get it, I, get it. I, I think anyone would probably be saved if that was the line to mickey right it bottlenecks at getting saved and then you get to hang out with mickey totally all right and so your parents what was like the denomination that you were raised with them i grew up nazarene in the early 2000s whenever george bush was trying to get elected my the pastor of the Nazarene church we were attending came out and said, if you don't vote for George Bush, you're a bad Christian. And my mom was like, we're never going back there again. Wow. I felt like it was like an interesting lesson because my mom like, I don't know, we still like prayed every night, you know, and like read the Bible together on Sundays. But for a while, we just like didn't go to church together. Like as a family, we sort of like practiced our spirituality at home. And then I actually was the one who like found a church that I liked and like dragged my parents to it. And they ended up staying there like long after I left. But yeah, it's sort of like non-denominational. But honestly, that Nazarene influence, I think, or just like, the part of me that's traumatized, I feel like. <laughs> that is perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay, so I actually am not that versed. I'd like to think that I've sampled just about every denomination in the display case, but Nazarene is a specific iteration of Christianity that I have zero experience with. Mm. The Nazarenes. They're special. They believe you can lose your salvation. So imagine telling a child that. Oh, yikes. That you can get saved, but it also can unhappen. Interesting. Is it conservative or is it like kind of charismatic? Conservative, not charismatic, just very like scripture practice centric. There was no harmonies. <laughs> it's a melody only church. A melody only church. That's it. You sing melody. The big controversy was when we moved from being just a melody church to like brought in like a guitar 
and the lady singing like a third and everyone was like that's a slippery slope yeah a slippery slope (laughs) it's the third that really gets you saying it out loud now wow (laughs) that's wild i feel like i grew up in the crucible that's dark okay (laughs) (laughs) gosh okay all right all right and it's interesting to me that I think you were saying that your parents got saved like a little later in life. Is that right? My dad, my mom, I think just sort of like was born. Okay. Born a Christian. And culturally? I think so, yeah. Okay, okay. I say that because I feel like for a lot of folks and a lot of people like myself included, a lot of people whose parents who Christianity wasn't a staple in their life from the get, they actually have a different relationship with their religion and Christianity now, it's important to them. And it's also interestingly casual, but it's the folks that were like deeply embedded from kind of cradle. Those are the ones who I think are impacted the most. And oftentimes when you see people who no longer attend church or to, who attend different sorts of like iterations of, of that, it's because they were like really into it from the get-go. Totally, totally. I think my mom is kind of unique because she was like born into it, but I don't know. She's she's really interesting. I look up to her a lot. She like worked at Planned Parenthood when I grew up. She just has always followed her own compass in terms of what it means to practice her faith. And I feel like her making us leave the Nazarene church because they wanted us to vote for George Bush is like a prime example of like, I think she just exemplified that faith was just about how you treated people and how you operated in this world. And I think her being an immigrant and like, you know, a black woman, like I think informed a lot of that sort of spidey sense that as a kid, I didn't see. But as you get older, you sort of understand. Wow. Yeah, I I was going to say something similar. It is very impressive that even immediately. And I think just I think you hit the nail on the head. It speaks to kind of her own integrity when you hear something to be able to just kind of sniff it out and go, no, 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 that doesn't track. And I'm not going to be here for it. Yeah. So many folks don't do that or they kind of feel that way. And then based on the circumstance and the context, maybe they kind of tamp down that inner voice and that intuition. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you were the one that dragged your folks to the church. Yeah. Uh, what kind of church are we talking about here? Non-denominational sort of, there's a cool band. Like attractional? Yeah. Yeah. It was a cool church, cool, cool youth group. I was like lonely. And I had met like one person who went to this youth group. And so I was like, let's. Yeah. I was already like, my parents are always talking about God. I feel like they'll feel like this is tight. And I honestly, I sort of was always into it. I'm like, Jesus seems cool. Loving people seems like a good idea. There's lots of good shit in there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Got it. There is such a kind of a social aspect to finding churches. There's like this sense of initial belonging you know and sounds like if, you, if you're coming from someone who wasn't didn't really have like a huge social circle like that's kind of a baked in formula for friendship and community and stuff like that yeah and it was like fun and like for me music was a big I started playing the guitar when I was 10 so music was just instinctually a really big part of how I connected and communicated and so to go to a church where it was like central is the first thing that you did. And like, you know, to like make that a part of my relationship with my spirituality was really cool. And I think that's what attracted me to it. And my parents were like, that's cool that our kid is like not doing meth in a parking lot somewhere. <laughs> did you play music for the church? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Like as soon as I could. Were you like a worship leader? Would you lead the songs? Were you backup guitar only? Um, I started just playing guitar and then eventually backup. And then I uh, 
the worship leader at my church quit. Nice. <laughs> and they were like, hey, you should do it. And I was like 16. Was it the worship leader of like the, uh, the big church? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you stepped up. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. Okay. What was like, what was like your song? Did you have like a default, a go-to? Um, Maybe it's been a while since you've sang it or so you might not remember. It has been a while. I honestly, though, every once in a while, I do like sing a worship song when I'm like on my porch. Okay. I think I was like a, a big, like beautiful by Phil Wickham. Oh man. Person. Yeah. Yeah. That still kind of hits, right? Oh, it totally it hits. still hits. And some of the crucifixion stuff is problematic, yes. but the rest okay. of it is just like, about how beautiful the world is and how that points to something bigger. And I mm, think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I feel you. All right. All right. So you're like 16 years old. You're leading worship. It sounds like this has become kind of a pretty important part in your life. Did anything change? What changed? Like, how did your spirituality evolve? And how did your identity come up against the religion you were handed? Ooh. Um, it's interesting. I This points back to my mom again, too. I think I never internally felt like I would have to choose between my spirituality and my ident- my other identities, like my blackness or my sexuality, my like, you know, gender identity. I don't know. God, it's just like, I just, everything that I read or understood emotively about the church, like, was like that God was loving and understanding and helpful. I think that culturally, like, there was a lot of toxicity. So, you know, a pastor would say something on a Sunday morning about gays going to hell or like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like they were a fever dream. There are these comic books. Oh my gosh. These like rectangular comic books. I forget what they're oh called. Oh my gosh. No. See, they're like little evangelical, like situational stories, like one-off stories. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just want you to know, Joy, there are going to be bad apples screaming at their, at their phones. <laughs> they're right? screaming. Okay, cool. <laughs> There's no way of knowing. Uh, it's impossible They're to real. know. They're yeah. real. Yeah, sorry. I can't check these like scary ass comic Terrifying. books. Terrifying. Oh my ter- god. I used to collect them. I wasn't okay. Like Pokemon cards. A hundred percent. Like it actually was, it was like Yu-Gi-Oh cards and then just a big stack of these like Bible comics. It's actually really crazy. There's all these little messages saying like, there's your internal truth. And then there's wherever you are, you can't be true, Mm. that you can't tell the truth. And so my job, not my job or my approach more like it was like, I'm just gonna do the thing as best and as quietly I can until I figure something different out. And I think at times that included like pretending like to conform. Mostly it was just like, I assume if I don't tell people how I really feel about things, I'm not going to get fired. (laughs) And so (laughs) that was a vibe. That is a vibe. I was a church planter once upon a time and like was like a worship Mm. leader once upon a time. There is that feeling when you're like a professional Christian. Yeah. You're like paid to do it. Yeah. You kind of, have to be stuck in this cognitive, spiritual time capsule and anything that you were handed, you have to adhere by, you know, and there's no room for change and no room for growth. Did you, I mean, you mentioned your your mom being such a big influence. Yeah. Did she know any of these ways that it was like you were feeling this inner conflict or, you know, anything like that? Maybe. I was a really sad kid. Mm. And so I think that even just from her observing me and being like just the intuitive person that I know her to be now, I think she might've just been like, 
being protective, you know? It's funny, like my parents are from a country where it's like not super legal to be gay. And like my dad had a hard, hard journey when I came out of the closet. But my mom voted for marriage equality like when I was in middle school. Wow. I think she was just maybe observant or just maybe she really just like was following through and is following through what she believes the right thing to do is. But yeah, I think she just kind of was like, you can like have faith and feel differently. Wow. That's incredibly fortunate. I feel like you're really lucky in that sense. So lucky. Yeah. So lucky. Did you stay at that like same church for very long? Did you hop around? Were you like a church hopper? I sort of hopped. I went to school in Orange County. I went to two Christian colleges. I transferred because I was working at a church and I wanted to be closer to the church that I was working at. So you were like doing this thing. You were like doing the thing. I was a professional churcher. Got it. Because when you say like, oh, I was leading worship at 16, you can go, oh, you know, I was just like helping out and they would like pay me a stipend. But it sounds like you were like on a trajectory. Yeah. Essentially, it was like, this is what I'm going to do is like, I'm going to like be a pastor because it's like you can help people. You can play music. I was like, eventually (laughs) the tide will turn Mm. even just for I think for a while I kept my queerness close to the chest or my belief about queerness or like, I think maybe I was like, I'll be celibate if it means I can do this. But I want other queer people to know that they can just be gay. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's this interesting balance of like, I loved what I did so much and came to terms with my identity and wanted it for other people. But there's, again, there's just still this like such resistance, even for myself. I don't think I could have like found the fullest version of myself had I stayed in that position. Mm. The moment I got to college in Orange County, like was studying worship arts and then I switched my major because I was like I feel like I could like take music classes and like read the bible at any time (laughs) in my life but I like switched to English because I wanted to learn about like writing and words and yeah I like found a church job as soon as possible because I was like I really do just sort of want to be a worship pastor with my life if possible it's wild to me Joe that you that you were like open to being celibate yourself yeah. Like you were like, I will put yourself down, I guess, or minimize yourself, but you were still a hundred percent for kind of elevating others and letting them be in, in their truth. But without yeah. you feeling like you were able to fully stand in, in your own. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think that now that I reflect on it, that was like a self-worth thing, mm. you know, wanting for others what I wouldn't conceive of or dream of for myself. Wow. I feel differently now. Sure. Like if I don't know if my label is like, you have to be celibate (laughs) to make shitty folk pop music. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be like, no, thanks. I'll just bartend. You know, I think that that is more a personal journey thing, but it it was definitely my stance. I just never in my life was non-affirming. I just Mm. rarely said it out loud because I understood the people that I was around. Yeah, got it. Got it. So you decided you had to leave. And then what was the overwhelming response to that? Were, were people like, they get it? Or they were like, shocked. But yeah, I kind of had a feeling. 
shocked and appalled. Um, I had just like a two years prior, I had just taken the head worship pastor position at a church in Orange County, like South Orange County. And it was good. I wasn't like great at my job and I was young. And I think I felt that. I feel like a baby to be committing to this specifically. Mm. And then also Walter Scott died. And Walter Scott was shot by the police for having a brake light out. And I was explaining, he looks like my dad. Mm. I was trying to explain to the people around me what it's like to be a black American and watch that over and over again. And they could not fathom my feelings because I was different. And I was like, nope, hard pass. I'm out. That's crazy. And whatever I think I'm accomplishing or learning about myself is not working. Yeah. (laughs) That must have been a bit of a mind fuck to go like this thing that I've dedicated so much of myself toward. I don't know. It's like the soil is, is, is fucked up. Like the whole context is jacked. Yeah. That must have been a lot to work through. I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't, again, if we're working with what the actual context is, I don't think the foundation of what Christianity is fucked up. I think people are stupid. (laughs) Yeah, I got it. Okay. You know, I don't know. It was hard only in the sense that I was like, I know I'm going to lose friends. Mm. I know I'm going to have to find a different life trajectory. I know I have a lot to explain to my parents. I know I have a lot to explain to myself, like, and to like reconcile with myself. And also, what am I going to do for work? (laughs) Yeah, I have no skills. (laughs) (laughs) That is real. real, That feeling is real. Yeah. Got it. But yeah, I wasn't culturally shaken up because I think I like, I knew what I was working with. Mm. There was a staff meeting at the church that I worked at where a white straight guy came in and talked about how his church deals with LGBTQ plus people. Perfect. The spokesperson. <laughs> and I'm like, it's it's not hard to try. That's what drives me crazy is it's like actually more difficult to be stupid sometimes. And it's like, OK, you have so many gay couples attending your church. Bring one of them with you. Mm. like, And don't put us in breakout sessions where we discuss what we're going to do or not going to do. Like, oh, it's so f- disgusting. And like, honestly respectfully that church is flopping and they deserve it because they don't know how to treat people. And Uh, like, I like the only directive ever was to love people. And it became so complicated because people wanted to be Republican and I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Can't. Can't and won't. Hi. Uh, How's it going? Is this the line? The line starts here. Okay. Oh, Hey there. Wow, I'll be. Look who it is. <laughs> Hi. Uh, yeah, we sat next to each other on the plane. Um, remind me your name. Uh, ben, right? It's Pastor Ben. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pastor Ben. <laughs> it's it's kind of wild. What are the chances? My friend, what are the chances that we would wind up next to each other on the flat and here we are at the same car rental place? Uh, it is quite the coincidence. Not gonna lie. Well then, what sort of vehicle are you looking to get? You know, it's it's just me visiting family, so honestly, anything that will get me there. <laughs> ah, so you're saying doesn't really matter to you how the vehicle looks on the outside. What matters is the destination. I guess you'd say that. It's funny. 
We live in a day and age where there is so much variety. You got your sedans and your pickups and your SUVs, four door, two door. What if I told you today that it doesn't matter what you're driving? What matters is who's behind the wheel. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter what you're driving. What matters is who's behind the wheel. And his name can be Jesus today. What if I told you that where your soul is headed matters more than whether your gas is unleaded? Hello, somebody. What if I told you that it doesn't matter what color the car is as long as the streets you're driving on are paved with gold when you get there? Amen. Uh, yeah, well, um, I'm headed to a grad party, so I don't really think I'm going exactly uh, where you're insinuating, so I don't think it uh, this lines up perfectly. By the way, where does this music keep on coming from? I'm genuinely concerned. Let me ask you something, my friend. Are you planning on buying the car insurance, the car rental insurance? You know, Pastor Ben, if I'm honest, I, I never used to think it was worth it. And then I got into a fender bender and I realized, you know what? It's worth the money up front. Just buy the insurance. So you're saying sacrifice now is worth it for peace of mind later? Why do I have a feeling I'm going to regret answering this question in the way that I did? It's funny. There's a thing about car insurance. The thing about car insurance is that you are protected against what may happen. And in the moment, it can feel like an unnecessary sacrifice. And you say, Pastor Ben, I can't do this. It's not worth the cost. You say, Pastor Ben, I can't pay this price. What if I told you today that there was an eternal insurance policy? <laughs> a policy that protects for eternity on anything that you could imagine. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker, church. The price was paid once and for all and is absolutely free. What if I told you today that insurance policy is called the blood of Jesus? Amen. Yeah, um, that's great. I checked on NerdWallet while you were talking over all that kind of fluffy music, and I don't think I can file a claim with the blood of Jesus for my Kia Forte if it gets damaged, stolen, or totaled, but thank you. I should really get going. This has been great, by the way. This has been great. Let me just ask you one last thing, my friend. Do you know my name? I don't think you actually know my What is the name of the car rental company you were thinking of going with today? I almost don't want to say. Humor me if you would. It's called Hertz Car Rentals. Hmm. You don't say. Please don't. Please, I beg you. It's funny. Nowadays, there are so many names of car rentals. You got Hertz, Budget, Enterprise, Alamo, all these brands, all these names that you could choose to rent your car from. But what if I told you today that there was just one brand name under heaven and on earth that you need to be riding with? What if I told you today that there is a name that you can call when it hurts? A name with an unlimited budget of grace. A name that will let you enter the prize of eternal life. A name that uh, is an Alamo when you need to take a final stand. Nailed it. And that name is Jesus. 
you know what? I think I'm just going to Uber. This was uh, an experience, Pastor Ben. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and step out of line. You can go ahead of me. Oh, I don't need a car rental. In fact, I live here and my ride is just waiting for me out front. I just saw you and I thought I'd swing in and, and say hello. No worries. I just wanted to, to chit chat with you. Come on down to my church though anytime. All right. Oh, Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Sure, why wouldn't this have happened? For the record, the last two lines you said were a bit of a stretch, okay? Enter the prize of eternal life. Get out of here. So if you left the church and you were kind of saying like, I don't know what I'm going to do now after this, how did you transition from <laughs> kind of like professional Christian joy to this you Ooh. now writing this amazing music and doing this incredible work? I have this song on my record, but the one that's coming out. And the first line is like, Jesus raised me, good weed saved me. That's and great. like, for me, it was finding the balance between what I instinctively wanted out of life to like love and be loved, to work hard at something that was inspiring and to treat people well and let them be themselves. Like, I don't. I don't need to impose my beliefs about anything on anyone because that's exhausting. <laughs> it is um, exhausting. So exhausting. And I don't know. I think I just like, I got to a place where I was living in LA because it was close to the college that I had sort of graduated from. And like, I was doing all these odd jobs and one of them ended up being playing guitar and singing background vocals for a guy who was signed to a label. It was the first time I was around professional musicians. Aside from the fact that I learned that you can make money doing this job, it wasn't like the most inspiring experience of my life. Sure. I like still keep in touch with the guy, honestly, because he's done well. Like I saw this path of like, as long as I am myself and I use my skills and do things to the best of my ability, I'll be okay. Mm. That compass literally sort of led me, you know, from delivering rental cars in LA to like writing music for videographers with lower budgets. And then one day a videographer used my song in Sierra and Russell Wilson's birth announcement video. I literally like recorded it in my bathtub <laughs> and it just sort of like took off on the internet. And then I like met like my publishing team, which like music publishing is basically people who help make sure the intellectual property side of music is taken care of. And like, they also like it started giving me money to just write songs for work. Wow. Yeah. It sort of snowballed. And I really, I was talking to someone about this last night. Like I honestly wanted to be like a songwriter for other people. I found an email from a few years ago where I was writing like people I wanted to write songs for. And Chris Stapleton was on the list, which is hilarious because he he doesn't need my help. He sure. like writes all his own yeah, stuff. Sure, sure. Um, I like I started out wanting to just like write songs that other artists could use. And the feedback I kept getting was like my voice, like my actual singing voice was so unique in that I should like do it myself, which is not it's not like rude. It wasn't like do it yourself. It was like you should put it out. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really want that. I started with this song called Sunday that was about my like coming to terms with my identity and myself. And I just started releasing things just because people were like, the stories are so specific and the voice is kind of unique. Like she should just do it. And now I do whatever it is I do for work now. <laughs> I, I 
feel like on behalf of all of your fans and myself, I am quite glad that you did not <laughs> just stay in writing for other people because because <laughs> it, it, it is true. Like you have such a distinct sound and your songwriting, there is a distinct tone to your writing. I know you really care about this, Joy, so I'm going to share this with you. I have been making mixtapes for my wife for the past 15 years. Proud <laughs> we're, of you. Go- we're going on 10 years of marriage, about 14 years dating. And uh, Sweet Symphony was on this year's record before I even booked this interview. So, you know, I, so I feel like I need to share that. Alyssa's oh like, you need, to, you need to show Joy. I was like, okay, fine, I will. It's an amazing song. That's literally the goal. I, I wrote that song about my mom and dad. They're like old as hell and they're in love. Yeah. I believe in love because of my parents and I feel spoiled that I just got to watch two people that really, really care about each other. Yeah, I started Sweet Symphony in LA at my apartment by myself like five years ago. And I wrote sort of like verse, chorus, sort of like half second verse. And then I just sent it to the team that I had just met. And everyone was like, I love this song. And then a bunch of opportunities came for it, including possibly being like in the end credits of Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was like, there's no way (laughs) I'm putting a song (laughs) that I wrote about my parents. (laughs) I'm not even pitching it. Oh my gosh. And so like, it just like lived this weird life. And I like had my friend Shay Jacobs, who's a British Nigerian writer help me finish it. And then one day, it seems silly to say one day someone was like, hey, Chris Stapleton wants to do Sweet Symphony. I'm not being dumb <laughs> or like being weird. I like have been touring and like had some really cool experiences. I just had felt this shift in my like the artist side of my career. When I was working on this new album and I got the text that was like, hey, I think Chris Stapleton wants to sing on Sweet Symphony. I was like, no. Why would he? How could he have heard it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I uh, listened to a, a song exploder with you. It was a great episode talking about Look Up. Yeah. And you were talking about how your outlook on life is, or at least at the time of the recording, was generally a little bit stormy weather. Mm-hmm. And I think when I listen to your music, though, despite that, or maybe because of that, the way you express yourself sonically, there's almost like this through line of hope. Can you speak to how like your outlook impacts your creativity? They're married, my outlook and my creativity. The way that I find hope is by like picking up a guitar or like sitting at a piano. The closing track of my album is a song called Somehow that I wrote when I was maybe the saddest I've been in my adult life. And I just like sat down at the piano. For me, music is like a way in which I seek and find answers. When I get sad, I know it's time to it's time to have creative time upstairs with my guitar and my feelings. Yeah, I'm really into tarot. I think it's really interesting and powerful. And there's this writer, Jessica. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Jessica Dore. And she does these guided things for each card. On the star card, she talks about how the imagery is supposed to remind us that you can make good with what's around you. And for me, the outlook comes from I when I'm at my lowest or when I feel like there's no hope or when I'm frustrated, I like look at the things around me that I've made and created or I seek to create or I look at things that people have created and it tends to be music and I think that it's just been like a huge lifeline 
creativity, specifically creativity through being musical. That's lovely. It's interesting about tarot. You're the second artist I've spoken to. I had a conversation with Lucy Dacus. She was saying the same thing. Yes. She's really into tarot too. I love Lucy so much. She's great. Okay, maybe there's something to this, this tarot thing that yeah. I should be investigating because it sounds like there's just a lot of illuminating things that you can kind of like discover about yourself and your framework. It's super dope. It's like a really good, for me, practice of one, like being quiet. So like at least for five minutes, I know that I'm going to be like shuffling cards and pulling them and like sort of thinking about what they mean. And maybe it's the same part of me that like as a kid would like read the Bible in the morning or, you know, something sure. like that. Something that's spiritual and devotional. I don't do it every day, but when I do it, it does feel like special. And I think there's like just a human desire for guidance to know what's next or to how to deal with what's present. And I think that tarot, in a way that sort of defies logic, allows you to do that with like just symbolism and time. And I think that's cool. That's super cool. It almost feels like every time you practice it, raw materials that you get to imbue your creativity it almost seems like a creative practice in and of itself totally but it's almost like prompted which is kind of probably part of the fun of it yeah 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 huh okay i would love to talk about the new record joy i listened yeah. to the the single changes was dropped a couple of weeks ago now at the time of recording it sounds outstanding i Thanks. i was listening to it and for me it felt overwhelmingly like driving home after the beach Absolutely. In the recording, it's it's almost a an unkemptness, but it's like a, a good unkemptness to it. You hear like a countdown at the front end. You hear like a little bit of ambient noise. Talk to me about what informed that sound. There is something so, I don't know, organic to it, um, which I think is what makes it so accessible. Yeah, I'm definitely like the person you come to if you want ambient noise that's not supposed to be there. In yeah, your records. I, I, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I have this uh, this song called Bad Blood that you can hear my dog. If you listen closely, you can hear my dog walking around the studio in the background. Oh, that's that's Because I didn't have a rug down when I recorded it. The record's called Proof of Life. And for me, the concept was about like finding a collection of songs that would point people to the things that were important to me or that I struggled with or that I wondered, you know, while I was alive, you know, if this record was in a time capsule and someone found it a hundred years from now, I feel like they would have like a good understanding of like who I am. And, and I think honestly, the ambient noise and the shit that Fantano is going to be like, that's what makes this record a two, you know, <laughs> that to me is like proof that an actual human being that is imperfect made these songs. And I just like, don't think that that's something you hear a ton anymore. And like, I don't, mm. I know that it means I'm not going to like go number one or anything, you know, but I do think that there's a realness. I'll send it to you. Honestly, there's a song that I love on the record called Somebody Like Me that I like made mostly up here. And then I went into like an actual studio, not just my attic with this group called the McCrary Sisters and they're um, these black gospel singers and they've sung with Dylan. They've done like amazing, amazing work and they're singing the backgrounds on this song. And at the end, all four of us just start laughing like uncontrollably. And I just left it in the recording. 
those little things that are imperfect is like, I'm not perfectly auto-tuned or like my guitar takes aren't the best thing you'll ever hear maybe, but it is intentional and it is like passionate and it is real and it almost like feels live in a way. And that's what I like about it is like from song to song, there's just this sense of like me and the people who I made this record with, our fingerprints are all over it. And that feels really beautiful to me. I think that's exactly what comes across, at least in that single that, that you released. It almost feels live. And I feel like when it comes to records, most things that we consume as people in this world, you know that it, you have something that was written before you heard it. And so it feels like if you watch a movie, you know there was a script there. But there's something always kind of fun. And you're like, oh, they improvised that bit. Because you, you feel like you're catching a moment of something that this was not supposed to happen. And therefore, you know, it is intrinsic to the artist. Yeah. When you hear like these little imperfections, you're like, I am experiencing this person outside of the like prefabricated content that they wrote for it. Yeah. And they feel closer to you, I think, for that. At least I feel like I felt closer to you as an artist because you enter into the space that you're already in. That's what I want. And again, this is like all this stuff that like makes it probably like a critical nightmare. <laughs> but like, I want people to feel like I'm just chief in a joint up here and like writing about my feelings. Like yeah. I want people to feel like they're entering into my world a little bit. And I think leaving those things and those imperfections and like changes I think I only played and sang everything once. Like um, wow. Aaron Sterling did the drums, but I played bass and guitars and sang. And then there's like a another voice, Sarah, or that might not be the right name. There's another voice on there uh, who like is an engineer in the studio who did like an amazing job. Everything's so simple. Everything's maybe too simple, not undercooked, but just like, it's just like a homemade loaf of bread, you yeah. know? And it's oh, yeah. just like, that's sort of my vibe. That's what I do. I think that, yeah, I'm a beat baker. Uh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Did you change your approach on this record compared to In Defense of My Own Happiness? How did your process change? Or like, what did you do sonically? Or was there anything you experimented with that maybe is different on this record that other folks might not hear on the last record? I think the features on this record are very intentional. Honestly, all my features are intentional, but I think specifically to have like a record of features for Proof of Life that I feel like hit multiple genres. Mm. It's all the things I love. Like I have a song with this rapper I am obsessed with named Maxo Cream. It all is like this weird sonic biodome of all the things that I love. And I think that that approach is sort of what changed is like instead of feeling weird. I think on the last record and in defense of my own happiness, I was like, is it weird that I have Marin Morris and then a folk group and then my friend Tim Jan, who's a really incredible MC? And like, is it disconnecting the audience from my work? I think this time around, I just like leaned into it and I was like, sure, Manchester Orchestra on this one, you know, Noah Khan on this one. I sort of like went for it. And I think that it surprisingly comes across still cohesive and everyone is so intentional because I just, I like working with my friends and I like working with my friends who make good music. And that is what ended up happening. I love that. 
When it comes to your creativity, Joy, are you like a butt in the chair sort of creativity? Or are you like, I will be creative when the moment, when the stars align and the moment strikes me and then I'm like a flurry of activity? Are you like a disciplined creative? Like what's your process like? A little bit of both, I think. I'm here like upstairs when I'm home every day. Like I, I try to come upstairs even if for a little bit, if it's just to play music for fun, teach myself something on an instrument. I think it's good. All of it's sort of practice, uh, discipline, uh, like entering in of the like anything is possible space. And I think if nothing happens, I like go downstairs and I play NBA 2K. Like I think I, <laughs> I think I have like a philosophy that if you're forcing it, then you shouldn't be <laughs> and you should mm-hmm. just walk away. I also think that you have to be able to open up the door, you know, every now and again. And that's why I like having a space that I can be creative in in my house. That's why I like trying, you know, at 9 a.m. every day to like sit, pick a weird drum pattern or like play something stupid on the trumpet and just see what it inspires, you know. That is so cool. Can you talk me through like, obviously, I'm sure it changes from song to song, but like, do you have a consistent formula in how you build your songs from the ground up? Or I mean, you said you start with some sort of sound, but what does your process look like from there? What I love about my music, which is crazy. My therapist is going to be so happy. I just said that <laughs> uh, brownie points. We love to see it. What I love about my songs is like I can pick up a guitar and play them just me and the guitar. And I feel like the emotion and what I wanted to get across is still there. And that the message, the lyric, like, I feel like I've like crafted this ability for myself as someone who wants to communicate through this medium to really hone in, like, here's what I want to say. And here's how I want to say it. And I think that translates when it's just me and a guitar. I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) We hit, I think, every genre like (laughs) on the planet, I think, in this record. I'm releasing a single that's like a, I was thinking about death and listening to Weezer. As one does. As you do. That's the next single. And it's a song called We're All Gonna Die. And it's like, that's on the record. But it's like, again, if I picked up this guitar and just played it, just us. I feel like I've gotten really good at being able to just communicate my heart and what's on my mind in a really simple way. And I think that maybe that's what people find in my music. I don't really understand. I've been saying this out loud and maybe I shouldn't. I don't understand why I have a job. I I (laughs) am sometimes confused at how I get work. (laughs) I feel like I've come to a place where like the approach is always to just start really simple and start with the core idea and what's on my mind and what's on my heart and what's going on in me and and just do that me and a guitar or me and a bass like I try to like curtail as much as possible at the front end because I think at the back end no matter what it sounds like it just really does at least lyrically to me come across like dang I really did I did say what I wanted to say and that's my goal a lot of the times I feel like if a song is good at its barest bones, it will almost always be great at its full production level. But I don't know if that's necessarily, if the opposite is necessarily true. A song can be great on the record with all of the tracks, you know, all of the things. But like when you whittle it down, it could feel like, you know, you're not really saying much, you're not really doing anything. And obviously there's different strokes for different folks, but it's cool that your approach to it is like at its fundamental, at its elemental essence, like there is a song there, even if it's just you and one other instrument. Yeah. 
I have to make covers for TikTok. Obviously, this is the age room. <laughs> that's one of the things that i've noticed is like i just like i'll only cover songs that i would play if i was just picking up my guitar and playing alone having that ability to just really strip everything back and like hear what you're saying is important <laughs> you know controversial that's a hot take yeah it allows clarity. I think that it's good to be able to hear something in its simplest form. And if it's not resonating, correct course. And I think that's why I start there. Mm -hmm. On this side of your faith journey, what have you found, whether it be practice or people, or what have you found in your life that you participate in now that maybe scratches that same itch that your faith tradition did once upon a time? Yeah. My answer sort of always has been like, I allow myself to be as Christian or non-Christian as I feel within any 24 hour period mm. and just let that be enough. Who hasn't read Falling Upward or Falling Up Upward, right? By Richard Rohr. Yeah. I forget the yeah. name. There's no way of knowing. The bad apples are screaming. Yeah, there's no way to check. <laughs> there's no way to check. Well, They're no, like, ah. we'll never know. <laughs> Someone's Googling and just throwing tomatoes. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I read it. And like, essentially the idea is, honestly, that Paul verse, the one that they forget to weaponize is like, when I'm a child, I think like a child and I reason like a child. But when I grow, I like, my logic grows and it changes in the way that I approach the world changes. And this book by Richard Rohr talks about how like in your second half of spirit life, the hope is not that you would so rigidly cling to like the scaffolding that people built for you, but that it would be able to come down and that like the living temple, aka the life that you lead would be an example of everything that you've been taught. I don't really go to church on Sundays. Occasionally I'll like, there's a church in town that's great that I will go to or I'll watch the live stream if I like feel like it. But I also carry my Bible in my backpack, you know, and I read tarot and I meditate. For me, it's about everything that excited me and drew me to Christianity, the love and the understanding and the hope for the future when there's despair. The answers that sometimes feel ambiguous in the sense that like good always comes, that is sometimes nice, you know, or that good always prevails. I just follow those things through in my day-to-day -day life. I try to work hard. I try to be kind and understanding, you know, I like am really, really like outspoken when something doesn't feel right not because I want to be an asshole <laughs> or like upset all my white friends in Nashville but maybe to say that like this world is bigger than us mm. and our comforts and and what makes us feel best and what we feel like we deserve maybe we can make a world and a community in which everybody feels safe and heard and honored and valued because everybody has value I ride that wave as intentionally as I can because, you know, I don't know, like a life is short. It's important to me to just leave that impact of I just like give a shit. And you're never going to catch me leading someone through the sinner's prayer ever again, probably. But I might unintentionally lead people to Christianity by talking about how sometimes I think Jesus is dope. I don't know. <laughs> I just like, I do Shabbat on Friday. Like, I just like, to me, like, life is about finding those things that make it worth living. 
And for me, some semblance of spirituality has been really important to holding on to that. Joy, thank you for this. This has been just such a freaking awesome conversation. So the record drops April 28, 2023. April 28th. I think there was like some show dates. Is there anything you can plug and you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm, I'm working. You're working. You are working. <laughs> I'm a working person this year. Um, I'm going on tour with John Mayer. Ever heard of him? At the end of March. I think he's done some stuff. I don't know. He's done some stuff. Then I'm going on tour with my friend Noah Khan, who is amazing. And then I'm doing some headline dates in the fall. I'm going to Europe with the Teske brothers. I'll be around. I'm doing some cool stuff. There's been some weird legislation in Nashville. So I'm doing some interesting pop-up stuff that will be announced just to like help raise money for the gays and theys in the South. Oh. Yeah. i just, I don't know. I'm working. <laughs> You're out there. All right. All right. <laughs> Any uh, South Florida dates? No one ever comes to South Florida. South Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Miami, West Palm Beach, any of that stuff? No, I played a college show in, I don't remember which Florida town. I don't know anything about the geography. All right. I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled. If it, if it works out, I'm going to try and, you know, I got to see it. Listen, even if it's just I like fly down and we just hang out, that's a possibility. You hear too. that here, folks? All right. <laughs> As officially said, they're going to fly down, so it's going to be great. Hell yeah. <laughs> Joy, thank you for this. This has been amazing. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. <sighs> Told you. It was great. It was great. Joy's great. Joy, if you listen to this, thank you for your time. And thank you for being just an outstanding human being. It was just so cool to talk to you and get to know you and now call you a friend of the show. And you heard it from Joy's mouth. They're going to be visiting uh, me in South Florida real soon. Speaking of visiting me in South Florida. So <laughs> here's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I know all of you, if you're still listening to this, it's because you're like, all right, listen to the interview with Joy. It was amazing. What's Adrian up to? Let's just see how's Adrian doing. Maybe you're one of the many who just clicked the episode off as soon as the interview's over. That's totally fine. Uh, but if you're sticking around, you're like, I want to know what's going on in the world of Gibbs. Well, listen up, folks. If you recall about a couple of weeks ago, the last couple episodes, I made like this really big, bold announcement after much thought and much back and forth. My family has put a lot of thought, lots of T's and P's in deciding to move to the great state of North Carolina. And we we're really excited. People like reached out to me as soon as the episode dropped. They're like, oh my God, you're coming. And I was like super excited. I'm like, yes, we're coming. I had devised a plan. I had devised a strategic timeline of everything that we needed to accomplish in order to list our property. And then once the property was listed, I had started kind of begun formulating some processes as far as how we're going to transition over, how we're going to move up there. Are we going to rent for a while? Are we going to try and you know land the plane perfectly timed uh, such that you're selling and buying a house at the same time? There was all these logistics going on in my head. And when I tell you, I had been really mulling over this and I was so, so excited, incredibly excited. For those of you who, who know me or listen to that episode, you know that I said, that's my tentative plan. <laughs> well, uh, it truly ended up being tentative because probably five days, four days after recording that, I get on a phone call at work and I was told that myself, along with 300 other people at my company, have been laid off effective immediately. What the fuck, man? What the fuck? How are you just going to lay me off? Don't you know I have plans? I didn't say that to the person's face or to the HR person's face. But I was thinking it. Like, what the fuck, right? Come to find out, as it turns out, if you've paid any attention to the news, I and the 300 others at my company 
were one of tens of thousands of people all across the country and the world tech industry, especially where I come from, just being laid off in mass. And so it was needless to say, it was a twist. It's been a plot twist. It's been a time. As of this moment, at the time of recording this, you boys jobless. It is a weird, weird feeling. I saw a meme that said like, being unemployed is like, imagine if being able to do whatever you want all day was stressful. Because that's what it is. I'm like, oh, this is so nice but this shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and if any of you listening are in a similar boat or have been laid off, this is my second time being laid off. I got laid off once when I worked as a producer on PBS. This is my second time being laid off. So I'm like, okay, been here. But if any of you have experienced this, you know, it is fucking wild out there. If you spend any time on LinkedIn or Indeed, it is utterly bonkers. It's like job posting posted six hours ago, 230 applicants. You're like, cool, man. That's what I'm dealing with. And it was hilarious that this episode was in the queue. My episode with Sarah Heath and Justin Gentry was in the queue. And they're like, you know, building resumes and looking at transferable skills. And at the time of recording, I'm sitting pretty in my current job. I'm like, oh yeah, it must be weird. Little did I know that I would be experiencing that weirdness firsthand. I wanted to share that because it's been I feel like I need to vent a little bit. I need to vent a little bit. It's been fucking wild in a number of different ways. When I was laid off the first time, I was like in college working as like an online producer and it was like whatever. Being laid off now at the ripe old age of 34, it's weird because now I have children. I have a partner. I have a mortgage. I have plans, right? Plans to move and all these things. And on one hand, it's like kind of a relief. There is that feeling of like, oh, interesting. I was talking to my friend. Ama, and she's like, That's, my witchy senses are kind of tingling. And I was like, yeah, right? Because anyone who's listened to the show this year knows that I had been just going through this feeling of like, something has to change, something has to change, or something is changing, or the tide has already changed, right? The reason why I wanted to move is just this hard to explain, palpable feeling. The reason why I felt like the show is starting to kind of wind down is again, due to just this interesting feeling of change. And then I get fucking laid off. I'm like, okay, universe, can you be more subtle, please? A little dramatic. Let's chill out. Didn't have to friggin' drop me like that. <laughs> I mean, luckily, I know in case you're wondering, luckily, my company was kind enough to offer me severance for like a number of weeks. We have some money saved up. We have runway. I do have some connections that I'm like trying to, so I'm, I'm actively putting out my resumes and actively having some great conversations. Some bad apples have even reached out to me, which is super, super cool. It's weird because... This situation has forced me to reevaluate, like it's forced me to deal with so many things that I haven't experienced in a really long time. Feelings of imposter syndrome. I haven't felt imposter syndrome in a while. Feelings of, of, of grief about work. I don't, I don't know if I've ever, except maybe the one time in college when I got laid off, I don't think I've ever experienced like, ah, professional grief. This feeling of dis-ease this weird feeling of identity crisis. You're like, oh, I didn't realize how much of my identity I had directly tied into my, my freaking nine to five job. And being laid off like this has caused me to go, oh, well, now the world is my oyster, potentially. So what do you want to be when you grow up, Adrian? And I'm like, fuck if I know. I have no fucking idea. And so on one hand, I am facing the very real reality of like, oh no, you need to consider survival, right? Obviously, 
there are lights that need to stay on and food that needs to be <laughs> distributed to these children. So there's like the survival aspect of trying to find a job. And then at the same time, there's like this fulfillment aspect. And I'd be lying if I, you know, I, you know, I'm hearing like the boomer and the loyal soldier and the Mark Driscoll <laughs> shouting at me like, be a man, be miserable like the rest of us. Just get any job. It's OK if you're miserable. But then like, you know, I like want to enjoy it. <laughs> I want to enjoy what I do. Right? Life is short. I want to just enjoy whatever it is that I'm doing. So it's really caused me to go, what the fuck do I want to do? Do I want, like, I was a manager at the time before I got laid off. Do I want to stay in like managing land? Do I want to go back to consulting, which what I was doing before I was a manager? Do I want to completely pivot and try and do something in like communications, which is more in line with what I fucking do here, right? I don't know. So anyway, it's just been wild. I've had myself a number of good quality cries. I highly recommend some breathwork meditation if you're looking for some subconscious ways to get your body to release some tears. I've taken a number of sad naps. Have you guys taken a sad nap before? If you've never taken a sad nap, you should try sad naps. They're a thing. On the other side of the spectrum, I have like become hyper-disciplined. It's weird. Alyssa told me that I am the most disciplined I have ever been after being laid off. I've been like waking up at 5 a.m., to like have my coffee, do some journaling, send out some resumes, like work out. By like nine o'clock, I've like done everything I need to accomplish. I think it's just me just trying to find some semblance of stability. So that's what's going on in the world of Adrian Gibbs. It's utterly bonkers. Aside from that, <laughs> I had my birthday. It was my birthday, March 13. Uh, and I got laid off like two days before my birthday. So uh, maybe like five days before my birthday. So that was great. I love it. This time last year, I was uh, at my grandma's funeral on my birthday. This time this year, I was unemployed. So I think my birthday <laughs> is cursed by the Lord. I'm fairly certain. I can't prove it. Fairly certain that my birthday is cursed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I'm making the best of it. I'm doing my best to keep moving forward. I've been finding kind of some comfort in affirmations. And I'm kind of of two minds when it comes to positive affirmation. And I like to think that's a sign of maturity, right? That I can hold two things at the same time. On one hand, I'm like, there is no benefit to a positive affirmation. You don't improve by telling yourself positive affirmations in the mirror. You improve by like doing things that prove to yourself that you are who you say you are. There's like a part of me that believes that. And there's like another part of me, maybe it's the Enneagram 4 or the church kid part of me, or the, it's all going to be okay. Part I don't know. There's another part of me that's like, the universe is conspiring in my favor, you know, that feeling like it's all going to be okay. Like it's all going to work out. I've had some good days, had some bad days. Today was a really fucking bad day. It was a very kind of storm cloudy day inside my soul, but I am like just doing whatever I can. And I think what I'm experiencing is just this like reshuffling going like, what is the thing? Like, let me just try these different things to at least bring me some peace or consistency or stability or perspective. That's what's going on. But other than that, I'm fine, man. I went to Universal Studios. Shout out to a bad apple named Mark that helped me secure some tickets for my birthday. Absolutely kind of you. Got to bring out the family and friends, and it was just an absolutely great time. The kids had never been. I got to ride a ride called the Velocicoaster. Fucking great. 10 out of 10, would recommend. Speaking of things that I would recommend, it's probably time for me to shift away from the 
wild and crazy and semi-depressing world <laughs> of what's going on in my personal life and get to what you guys are really after. Here's what y'all actually want. You want to know what we have going on in our final segment of the night, and I like to call it Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, smoke, sip, smoke, read. So you know we read that shit. That shit. Only sip the finest party lit. On my couch and I be So you think and listen to these idiots. But here you keep on listening. And here you are so listen. Major pain corner to the latest book. You know what it is. I know what it is. This is the part of the show where I talk about what am I sipping? What am I smoking? What am I reading, listening to, kicking back and enjoying, participating in to get myself through these unprecedented times called 2023 in the land of unemployment? Which, speaking of, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, my company needs Adrian Gibbs, then you can slide into my inbox, <laughs> dirtyrottenck at gmail.com. Just going to go ahead and throw that out there. All right. So here's what I'm sipping. I had never had this. It was a very simple cocktail, but I wanted something simple. And it was called Ranch Water. Ranch Water. I love that name so much. Ranch Water is essentially Blanco tequila, Topo Chico, which is a type of soda, and lime juice. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Really, really simple. And it's so good. I mean, it just tastes like tequila and Sprite. <laughs> if you're a Topo Chico fan, I'm sorry, but you know, it's just kind of a citrusy tequila. But it was good. I, I don't drink that much these days, but when I do, it's usually tequila. Tequila or Prosecco, some combination. What am I watching? I am watching. Uh, so I just finished the season of Drive to Survive. I'm all caught up with Drive to Survive, and now we are balls deep in Formula One this season of Formula One. I am, as always, a Ferrari fanboy. Hopefully, they do better by my boy, Charlotte Claire. We'll see. I, d I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I've been watching a show called The Good Place. I'm in season two of The Good Place. Sometimes, you know, you want to watch a show that you don't have to really pay too much attention to. Or you, you want to watch a show that you can like be eating food and like spill something on like your shirt and like clean it up. And then when you look back up, you didn't really miss much. You know what I'm talking about? That's The Good Place. It's a good show. Kristen Bell's in it. I heard the ending's really good. That's all I know. So I would like to just watch a feel-good show. And it feels pretty good so far. I'm all caught up on this most recent show, this phenomenal show, the show that took the world by storm based on a video game called The Last of Us with Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. I never played the video game. I never got around to the video game, but the show is so good. It was good, and it was gross, and it was beautifully shot, and it was heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. I mean, it was awesome. Alyssa and I were looking at each other, we were watching, we're like, this is so much better than his Dark Materials. I'm sorry. It's such a good show. And then uh, we just started the new season, the final season of Succession. Succession is just kind of about corporate douchebags. And I can't look away. Kiernan Culkin is in it. The guy from Pride and Prejudice is in it. That's all. I don't know how their names, but it's a good show, okay? What am I reading? There's two books that I'm reading. There's a book that I'm circling back to. It's called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. I consider myself a minimalist at heart, and I love this book because Greg McEwen talks about priority, and he talks about trying to tailor your life in a way 
that the people and things that are most important to you are the things that you emphasize. His whole thing is like there is a discipline to pursuing less but better. Like I'm not going to go an inch in a million directions. I'm going to pick my one point of highest contribution and just run that way as hard as I can. I love that. Totally inspiring. I've read it a bunch of times, but after being laid off, I was like, I feel like I need, I need to read this again to like help me zero in on who I want to be. So that is a book I highly recommend, Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And the second book I'm starting reading, I just started reading and I'm about halfway through, is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. This book is cool in a different way because it's kind of like challenging me to be the version of myself that I want to become. Obviously, like I think essentialism is cool because kind of like here's who you are and the value you bring and here's how you can zero in on who you are and then prioritize and place boundaries around yourself. And then Atomic Habits is like, here's how you can identify the person or the traits that you wish to arrive at. A lot of it's like really practical ways to try and instill some good habits. And I love it. I've been on like a, not like a new year, new me, more like a fuck you, I'm going to be awesome. You know, that's kind of what it's like. So write new year, new me, scratch it out and under underneath it, just write fuck you, I'm awesome. That's what I'm on right now. As far as music, there's a band I found called Slow Joy from TikTok. Found them on TikTok. It's like grungy, sad boy music. Like slow, grungy, sad boy music. Really, really good. Really, really fun. And last but not least, uh, CBD. CBD gummies. There's a brand of CBD gummies. Not a sponsor, though they should be. It's from a brand called Raya, R-Y-A. And these gummies have been great because they don't make me immediately exhausted. So it's not like man, sometimes I'll take like a gummy and I, I cannot take them at any point other than virtually immediately before bed. But this has been great because I can take them, I don't know, at dinner time. And I actually feel like chilled out throughout the duration of bedtime, getting the kids ready, winding down. Me and the kids have started like wrestling at night. We call it jujitsu, even though it's really just wrestling, which by the way, the amount of effort that I expend wrestling with my son Wilder in our version of jujitsu is about the amount of energy that every other person at my jiu-jitsu academy expends rolling with me because that's how shitty I am at jiu-jitsu. All that to say, CBD has been great. It's been helping me chill out. I'm like kind of alert, kind of relaxed. I sleep well. It helps me recover. I work out a lot. It's been helping me make my body recover. You know, highly recommend. If you're not on the CBD kick by now after hearing me rave about it for so long, get on it, right? Get on it. Well, I think that's it, y'all. I think we did it. I don't think there's anything else that I have to say or whine about. If you would like to support this show, you can support it in its final season by leaving a rating and review, a, a like and a subscribe on the social medias. You can go to dirtyrottenchurchkids.com. There's an Instagram handle, although to be honest, I like deleted all of my social media. I like only go on to post about episodes because it was starting to fuck with my mental health. So I'm not posting on social media as much. I'm just prioritizing my sanity. But I do post on the Instagram for like episode prompts to let people know when the episodes have dropped, kind of like truly the most informative things. We went from like 98,000 followers to like 88,000. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Social media is, is a lie. Useful, but you know, you get it. So if you'd like to follow, to follow, you certainly can. But bear in mind, I'm not posting on social media as much these days because it's not good for my mental health. You can send me an email, though. That is good for my mental health. Send me an email at dirtyrottenck at gmail.com. I love getting bad apple mail and chit-chatting with y'all. 
If you would like to support the show by purchasing some merch, the last merch of ever, you can go to dirtyrottenchurchkids.com and click on the link to our Teespring. You can go to Patreon. On Patreon is where we have some bonus content, some video content. So this episode's video content is going to be posted on the Patreon as well as a Bad Apple only Discord server. Really cool hangs going on over there. Oh, a Reverent Media Group. Check that out. And I think that's all. This has been a great conversation. Once again, special shout out to Joy. Special shout out to all the bad apples that have reached out to me for my birthday. And in lieu of all the bullshit that I've been going through, I appreciate you all for listening to this show. It means so much. Um, This year has been absolutely bonkers, but I am insistent that it's going to be fine. (laughs) I am insistent. It's just been my experience that even the shittiest, shittiest things have always ended up kind of being okay. So with that said, what better way to end the episode than with that? Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Keep up the dirty work, everyone. And remember, it's all going to be okay. A massive thank you to Joy for spending the time to chat with me. Be sure to be on the lookout for Proof of Life on April 28th. This year has already been so crazy for many of us. Take care of yourself and those you love. Prioritize sleep, drink water, eat tacos. When I told a boyfriend something was no big deal, it meant anything from, I just bought weed from your nephew, to I secretly befriended your ex-girlfriend last year, things got out of hand, and now I'm her bridesmaid. 1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.